HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. This week on Meet and 3, we're jumping into a world filled with fizz, iridescence, and deliciousness. We're talking about bubbles. It came from the air gas truck. Yeah, no, I never thought about it before that. And I think it's emerged as a bulbous tea shops, a site of Asian American youth uh, identity building. We're called the invisible industry because these products you don't really see, but they're around us in every way, um, every day. Listen to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. My guest today is Yaro Laser Smith a.k.a. Yellow Slaps, who is a visual artist and hip-hop musician and the co-director of a swim gallery based in San Francisco. Niyaro recently published Ramen Forever, an artist's guide to ramen. There are many ramen-themed books, but this is hands down the most intriguing and cool ones I've ever seen. And it is packed with inspiring interviews with ramen lover artists, tons of fun illustrations, amusing photos, and novel recipes. The book is also a proof of how ramen has become universally popular. 20 years ago, who would have expected that such a casual, accessible form of Japanese cuisine will appeal to a global audience? So today we'll discuss Yaro's life perspective as an artist, how the cool painter and hip-hop musician got into ramen, what is common between art and ramen, and much, much more. But before you start, Japan is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japanese. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Yellow Slaps. Hello, Yellow. Uh, welcome to Japanese. Hey, Akiko. Thank you for having me. 
So this is very exciting. So where are you now? Now I, I am back in San Francisco in the Lower Haight. Okay. Yeah. Right. Before it was at the airport. <laughs> okay. And yeah. I know that you have another base. Uh, it's a cool place, Truth or Consequences, in New Mexico, right? Yeah. So I've been going to Truth or Consequences since I was real young. And now a lot of my family are live out there and believe in the future of this town, you know? Mm. Okay. Yeah. So I thought that the city of the name or the town of the name, true, so the consequences, I really, it's like you, something very um, interesting I never heard of. <laughs> so um, so let's just dive into a conversation. So, um, so where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up? Um, I'm from San Francisco, California. And growing up, I I would say that I I ate like almost like I ate a lot of stuff. We would go out to eat a lot, so I didn't really have like a a typical like mom makes this for dinner kind of experience, you know. Okay, and uh, so and then you are a painter and hip hop musician. So could you tell us when and why you started your life as an artist? Yeah. So well. I grew up in the art scene. Um, my folks started the luggage store gallery on Sixth and Market, and like I, growing up, hip hop became like my escape from the art world, as so to say. It was a a, a genre that I had my own voice in, you know, and mm. I liked it because nobody knew who I was, and I was I. I had a group called the Go Getters, and we—that's how I started in hip hop, you know. Mm, right. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So your parents uh, uh, started the Cool uh, Galley Luggage Store Galley in San Francisco. So, and then under your parents, you you felt probably like you have to do something with paintings or some visual arts which is part of you now, but it's funny that you wanted to get away from it. So that's an interesting aspect of life. Yeah. I mean, like the art world in San Francisco is kind of, it's very, it's, it's very small, you know, it's like everybody knows everybody. So yeah, I was literally trying to <laughs> escape from it, but I ended up coming right back to it, you know? Mm, right. Uh, okay. So I think it's a good thing that you just see the other type, other parts of the world. You just expanded your art world on your own. So that's cool. Yeah. That's precise. Hey. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so the other thing, I, I, I've seen your, you know, visual arts and also listen to your cool music too. And your paintings capture people in the city very lively. I think it's in San Francisco. And uh, what is the theme of your paintings and uh, your music? Yeah. Um, you know, I had a, when I started painting, I, I would just go on Google and I would find photos of like groups of like urban people hanging out. And those were kind of like my first like type of paintings. But then it, it morphed into like hip hop and pop culture. And then 
you know, you have to kind of be conscious of what you're doing in the art world because people will see what you're doing and then they they know you for something. So then they say that's what you do. And so <laughs> I I felt like everybody thought I was just a pop culture artist. And then it, it uh, challenged me to diversify what I'm doing and come from different angles and try not to be doing the same things, you know? Mm, right. When you do, you know, pick the theme of a painting, for example, what's the, how do you pick your subject? Ah, yes. I mean... See, it's just, you know, just by living because, you know, you can't force your creation. Things have to come naturally. And so I kind of, I'll just, my mentor, Christiane, she was like, hey, if you're going to be painting, just do series this. Like pick a pick an idea and just do like five paintings or a uh, like 10, five to 10 paintings about a certain subject, and then you can like move on and move to the next. So I I don't really know. <laughs> That's like kind of mm-hmm. Robin Forever started. It was, it was an art thing, but it was just a different kind of like, a different kind of lane in art. You know, always switch it up and keep people guessing, you know, don't want mm. to Right. So it's, it's interesting because I've never professionally um, studied any arts, like paintings, like, you know, in general. But uh, some artists have very um, specific theme, very consistent, and sounds like yours very organic. Although, to my eyes, your subjects are very um, kind of daily life and you really feel it. And I, when I see your paintings, I feel like, wow, as if I'm standing right by there. So I really mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, the street, the street scenes, like country scenes, they're always fun. It's just kind of trying to relate different subjects that people might always think that come together and show them like it's a twist. Like I did a series of like paintings that was people in a room that would never share a room together. Yeah. Mm, right. Yeah. Okay. And mm. all right. So let's talk about ramen. So mm-hmm. what's your first encounter with ramen? I mean, my most memorable encounter with ramen wasn't that long ago. Uh, I went to a spot in the city called Mensho, and people had been talking about it, and there was a lot of buzz. And I went with my friends, and we tried the ramen, and it, like blew my mind you know and a lot of people that I've interviewed they talk about like that first ramen experience and it's it's kind of like like a drug you know like when people might do a drug like the first time they do it it's the strongest and then they're like trying to chase this that first time and so my first real time with ramen would be at Mencho. <laughs> mm, what kind of ramen was it? Uh, they had like some lobster special and I got like the last lobster and it was just so good. It was just, yeah, kind of like head rush good, you know? And so, yeah. It was funny because it sounds like the, is it a classic style dashi? You know, the soup was very classic. I I actually think it was like a, like a creamy shoyu ramen. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because my guess is that, you know, in Japan, you don't have lobster ramen, but with the shell, you mm-hmm. make dashi stock 
And then、mm. that's why I think the soy can be even very viscous. Maybe some pork in it too, but it's just very interesting that that's kind of very American style lobster ramen, but totally makes sense. Yeah, very. I, it's definitely because from my traveling in Japan and trying ramen out there, I would, I would say that like in Japan, it's not super. Uh, how do I word this? It's not so like concentrated. It's more delicate. Like, I think they've adjusted the palate for Americans to be like stronger tasting and like, you know,、mm-hmm. everything. Right.、Yeah. Right. So,、uh, when you grew up, did you eat ramen? Like, when you were much, you know, much younger? Yeah, I probably had some like cup of noodles, but I didn't really trip over it. It wasn't like, it didn't like blow my mind, but that was like my first. Real experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so glad it wasn't. <laughs>、um, but when, when did you go to Japan? I, sounds like you've been to Japan a couple of times, so at least. Yeah, I've been twice. Like, the, my cousins are from Shikoku. And、oh. so when I was in second grade, I went to Japan to visit them. And then I most recently went back in 2019. And We went to Tokyo and Hokodate and like Osaka and Kyoto and Sapporo, and, and all in like two weeks. It was like we missed flights and <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah.、Um, right. So it sounds like, of course, you went to、uh, Hokkaido, you know, Sapporo and Hokodate. They are, you know, Like the makers of ramen. So, did you enjoy the ramen in Hokkaido, which is slightly、mm. different from the other regions? Yeah, it's like the salt based ramen, I think. And yeah, it was really good. We, I noticed that when planning the trip, that everywhere in Japan is like really famous for something. And so, <laughs> we were either going to go south or go north, and we ended up going north and went to. The, in Hokodate, they have this morning market, and it was, it was a really cool place. And I would recommend people go there. It was, it was great. Yeah. Mm. yeah, Hokkaido is really known for beautiful agricultural products, and including the salmon and best ingredients for ramen, too. So,、mm. yeah, it's, it, we call it in, in, in Japan, it's Sapporo ramen. It's just a very special ramen. Okay, so、um, yeah, so what is special about ramen for you personally compared to other foods?、Uh, for me, ramen is,、uh, I think that the more I look at everything, I feel like everything is like related and similar. But like for me with ramen, I would say it's about the layers. It's about It's about how the, the bowl transforms itself as you eat it. Like a really good ramen doesn't taste the same from the first bite to the last bite. It constantly like changes. And that is what I would say is different about ramen than other food, you know?、Mm, wow. Okay.、Yeah. So、um, can you go step farther? Like, can you give me an example? Like, you have the bowl of. I don't know the lobster ramen.、Uh-huh. What's the first to the last layer? <laughs> so, I think you were saying about the dashi, and like, I'm not sure if I, I'm saying everything correct, but I know when they make a bowl, they first put a sauce into it, 
and then they put the broth into it, and then they put the noodles and then the toppings. And then so with the lobsters, kind of, I added, like, ground lamb to it, too, I think, and, like, tamago, like the eggs. And it was, yeah, just from from the first bite, you're like, oh, okay, you know, it's cool. And then the, as the flavors keep coming in, it's like by that last bite, you're just like, you're you're just you're ready for bed, basically. <laughs> mm. right. so, so rich, so rich. Now I prefer like vegan ramens because it's hard to eat like the the pork broth so much, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, they say it's the collagen that's good for you, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to have it every day. Um, yeah, and also I think um, you know there's a Brahmin different compo- components like you just said, but um, as you progress, it's uh, you know the whole components started to be more mixed, and then your I think palate sensation becomes more kind of integrated, and. Uh, I I saw I see I think Mr. Pro Ipudo created a kind of leaflet how to eat ramen, and uh, at no, the no, end, no. yeah, and at the end you have to like drink up the bottom of the soup because that's the essence of umami. Mm. So yeah. yeah, that's that's my favorite part about ramen is the broth. Like people would make jokes on me because I don't always finish my noodles, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I always finish the broth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, and also, what you remind you what you said reminded me of uh, uh, one chef. Um, he said, "For you know, when you have miso soup, mm-hmm. you know, it's important to have it's it's salty enough at the at the beginning to capture an eater's attention, but at the end, after the meal, you feel satisfied, not feeling too salty." So mm. that's the layer. It's the from the beginning. It keeps changing because your palate is changing throughout the meal. So at the end, it's the perfect satisfaction without feeling oh that was salty. So it, yeah, you're right. And in Japan, I could eat more ramen every day than I could in America. You know, because in right. J- Japan, it's just it feels more organic. Is it's it's not as salty to me and like you could really like eat it much more out here. I think it's just, they add a lot of stuff that they think Americans like, <laughs> you know what mm, I mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like personalities, right? In, in Japan, it's all about balance. It's all about the harmony and the mm. society too. So mm. there's the phrase, uh, if you just stick out, you're going to be hammered down. That's like a whole personality too. So it's for, Better or worse, that's Japan. It's about harmony and balance. In this country, it's better to speak out and then express what is great about something. So even ramen shows that. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this country is like chaos. And like, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. I think that's why I'm here in the States too, but... It's just really, yeah, you have to try both, right? I think uh, to enjoy. And well, we're going to discuss your recipes in the book too, but Mm. your recipes in the book really showcases the interesting part of the American culture too. So uh, actually, so let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll dive into uh, Yaro's fascinating new book. So please stay with us.
Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less saturated fat, and it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble. Great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also a frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres calls Just Egg mind-blowing and Bon Appetit says, It's so good, I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, and my guest today is Yaroslaps, who is a visual artist and hip-hop musician and the co-director of The Swim Gallery based in San Francisco. He recently published a fantastic book, Ramen Forever, an artist's guide to ramen. So uh, you published Ramen Forever, an artist's guide to ramen in January 2021. So why did you decide to write a book about ramen? Um... Well, it's kind of interesting when I when I my first art shows that I ever curated, like my first one in 2009 was called Jumbo Prawns. And then I had a show called Cajun Rice. And then we did one called Champagne. And I, I was always wanting to do like a art show that had something to do with some Asian food. But it didn't really happen until my friend Justin Hager dropped an art cookbook with munchies. And I went to the bookstore and I saw, like, I saw the book. It was amazing. But then I started looking at all the cookbooks and they didn't really have that much art in them. And I was like, yo, we can do a cookbook that features, like, all these artists and it could be ramen forever. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. Mm. Right. Yeah. So oh, that's I was wondering why the forever. So that comes from it's a perpetuating the ramen boom. So which is awesome. Yeah, it's um, funny because in the book, Chris Yang says that the ramen trend is over. And it's it's just kind of funny because it's like it you know, things are trendy, but ramen is forever. Like I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. People mm. love it. Right. Well, I had the same feeling about watching sushi becoming more kind of part of this country and kids started to eat sushi as they grow up, which is, it's part of their diet. So hopefully ramen is going to be like that 
And uh, I hope ramen stays as healthy as sushi in this country. Um, right. I see like little kids eating Toro now and I'm like, yo, you should like, <laughs> you need to be 18 to try Toro. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. And, uh, and your book is um, far, far beyond a cookbook. And it's a, to me, it's a love letter to ramen from mm. you. And also uh, it contains many philosophical and social ideas through the lens of ramen. So, mm-hmm. and you interviewed many cool people. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, you just mentioned Chris Yang, but mm-hmm. he's a well-recognized writer in the food world. And mm-hmm. and he asked, you asked him whether cooking is art or not. So it's just that uh, you don't find that kind of um, question in a regular cookbook. So how did you pick the interviewees for your book? Mm. Yeah, I mean, like when I first started, I uh, I just told all the artists like to do like a illustration, and then I had all those illustrations, and the book didn't feel done. So I was like, I have to like hit up chefs, and so I went on Instagram and I just typed in ramen, and the first uh, restaurant I interviewed was Zenbox Izakaya, and minnesota and the chef is john and g and the ramen architect and that was, that was my first one but after that i really just i i keep going i've hit i hit up maybe <laughs> like 400 chefs you know <laughs> wow and yeah just did a lot of interviews because I, I i know that i'm not from japan so if i'm gonna do something about ramen i I don't want to be exactly telling ramen's story. I just want to learn from it. And I and the, the message is that people that read it will learn and hopefully have less questions about ramen after they read the book. You know? mm, wow. So that 400 people, uh, are they based in the States or could be anywhere, including Japan? Uh, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of artists that I reached out to, um, a lot of writers. I wanted to have like some of the leading writers <laughs> on the scene to write about it because this project is fun for me, but very serious. And I want it to be uh, looked at as like, a, you know, a real book, you know, so I got Jamie Feldmar. She writes for Forbes and a lot of food things. And uh, Matthew Kang, he runs LA Eatery. And he wrote some some articles. And yeah, there's there's a good amount of some writers in here. Some real some real writer writers. Hey, you know? mm, maybe um, could you share with us some of your favorite comments from the people you interviewed? Oh, okay. I, I have some. Um, I really liked my interview with Abram Plout, or the Ramen Beast, as people know. And he he was just uh, commenting on the, the scene in Tokyo. And he was like, you can go eat at a new ramen restaurant every day for the rest of your life, and you still wouldn't try most of them. You know, <laughs> I thought that was very insightful, because <laughs> that's what he does. He travels and tries ramen almost every day and he knows that he won't be able to try all of them you know mm. and uh, and each I, each boy i'm sure yeah it's like uh, we present personality and the region that's really what ramen is about it's not just the uh, food it's so much in the ball like, so much, sorry. Yeah. 
Oh, no, my bad. And Kaizo Shimamoto, he says uh, he hopes that someday he will be known for making the worst ramen in New York. <laughs> and I, I thought that, <laughs> that quote was great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kaizo actually joined us on the show a while ago. And uh, he's just an innovative right? ramen burger. So yeah. I don't think he would ever make the worst ramen. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if it is the worst, then that means that ramen's getting really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And uh, well, I'm sure it's the, really the book is so much in just a, it's like one book. So mm-hmm. what else can you share mm-hmm. with us? Um, you know, I really, um, any last words? Um, one of my favorite parts about the book, though, is that like a lot of the interviews, they came just directly from the Gmail. They like weren't edited, so there's like a a kind of organic naturalness, and it's not exactly like perfect, but you know. And um, yeah, Jamie Feldmar talked about eating ramen by herself, and like some insight on like how how nice it is to. In Japan, they have those cuticles, you know, where you're like kind of blocked off from everybody, and it's just like you and the bowl, you know. Right. She yeah, talks. solo la- la- ramen experience. You yeah. have like own compartment to enjoy ramen. <laughs> yeah, because in America, everybody they go out to eat ramen together, but in Japan, it's not always really like that. It's more like, hey, come in, eat this bowl. All right, get on with your day. You know. Right. Well, it's just one company who started the style, but I think the initial intention of that compartmentalized seating was not for the COVID, it was way before COVID, but it's to focus on, you know, delicate flavor of ramen because you are chatting with friends, you don't pay attention enough. So it's like how committed people are in Japan to ramen. That's a very uh, symbolic um, style of eating ramen. Yeah, definitely. Also, Ramen Culture's interview in the book is, like, super insightful. Like, I think his uncle, you know those, uh, what are those, what are they called? It's like a seaweed, and it has rice in it, and then, like, tuna inside, and they wrap it. Yeah, onigiri, right, rice ball onigiri, right? Yeah, yeah, like, his uncle invented the wrapping for it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And um, said, you know, that that's the one in convenience store. If you go to a convenience store, the wrapping and there's a plastic in between. And then magically, when you open it, you pull out the plastic. The mm-hmm. nori seaweed is not wet. So it's still crispy. Exactly. And, I always I, open it wrong, too. I, <laughs> I've never opened it. Before. <laughs> <laughs> right. That could be tricky. But um, I heard. So uh, your friend's uncle patented it so whoever is a rice ball uh there's a patent that's that somebody gets paid for it that must be really billion dollars a year <laughs> i know i know right and so just yeah like just interviewing a lot of these chefs it's so interesting to hear how they get started in ramen as well because it really is something that's kind of like passed down in a sense you know that you know Yeah, not everybody just wakes up with no experience in ramen and ends up having a ramen restaurant. Like a lot of people had some lineage in it, you know? Right. Well, classically, uh, the Tampopo, the movie Tampopo, um, 
right? So it's just the somebody. I think、uh, the chef's husband died, and she had to take over the, the restaurant. Am yeah. I right?、It's, yeah. yeah. So, and then, so yeah, by training, and you really have to work hard. But it's just the focus, and uh, it's a.、Uh, It's your reflection of your palate, your personality, your hospitality. Everything goes into the bowl. So that's why I think ramen is not just a, you know, just like hamburger is not just a, you know, meat between buns. It's just so much in there. When it's really good, it's good because it's far beyond what、But、it you, is. Yeah, you need like the bad ramen restaurants and the bad hamburgers because they play a role. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> That is、yeah. so true. Yeah, yeah, but but in Japan it's hard to find a bad ramen shop. I have to say, I maybe I'm biased. <laughs> no, I, I would I would agree with you. But even if it's not that good, like the presentation is always like immaculate, and that's I love that about Japan. How much was like geared towards presentation, and that's when it came down to the book. I wanted it to be like a present, and so you open up the cardboard, and then it's in the plastic, and then you open up the book, and it's. It kind of felt like Japan's presentation to me, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. That is true. Yeah, that's the visuals are very important too because there's so many ramen shops. It's very competitive, and it's I think it becoming now with Instagram age, people are more into something more visual to to showcase and just、uh, you know differentiate themselves. Do you、so. have a favorite ramen? Um, no, I, I'm very, very sort of. What if I go to one area of the country and I、mm-hmm. eat the regional ramen? Like that's gonna be my favorite of the trip.、Mm-hmm. So,、mm-hmm. yeah, and I, I think it's just really interesting, right? It's just a could be a very interesting tool to find regional ingredients and the culture. You know why this place prefers miso over soy sauce? Like my my dad is from the south, so. Ramen in the house never was miso. It's always soy sauce ramen, so、mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. And then it's like so much of like eating the food is almost like like learn you're learning as you eat because if you're a chef, you wanna you wanna you taste it, and it's like having a class, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I would imagine Japanese ramen chefs are learning a lot from American creativity. Right.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, but speaking of,、um, you your book features great ramen recipes. So, what is your favorite ramen, and why? I mean, you can pick pick、uh, more than one. Okay. Well, just off the top of my head, I really like、uh, th- the artist's name is Genevieve Busby, and she did a ramen called Tide Pool Ramen, and it was one of my favorite recipes because. It's one of those. It's all about like gathering your ingredients, you know. And I, I watched this chef,、um, outdoor chef life on YouTube, and he he will just go to like the coast, some random coast, and like find all these crabs in the tide pools, and then he'll he'll find like all the seaweed and kombu, and then he'll just make a ramen. And me and my friend tried to do this. <laughs> One morning, and ended up with a lot of like scrapes and bruises trying to do <laughs> <laughs> the tide pools. It's not as easy as it looks, you know. And so that's why I like the tide pool ramen, which is on 
page 198, but the book, it, it even features like not, not real recipes exactly. Like some of the artists have like recipes like rubber ducky ramen and you need to find beads and cloth to make it, you know? And then, oh, I have another favorite. Uh, her name is Yudori and it's called Perfect Asian Rom- Asian Girlfriend Ramen. And hold on, let me read the ingredients to you. It's pretty funny. So running through the book here. It's like a chopped male ego. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, half cup unfulfilled promises. Um, yeah, that one's pretty pretty funny. Yeah, so like it's it's just very interesting to see like you give artists one one like kind of thing to do and then the create creativity that comes from just one concept you know right yeah Yeah. one of the things it's really i thought it was really really comfort food as an instant noodles coconut milk yellow curry paste pork belly and sunny side egg and it was like it's like a fat bomb but you know once in a while if you eat it (laughs) you're gonna be very happy maybe like sunday brunch that sounds um, so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and also this instant noodles, like, you know, if you grew up in Japan and, or maybe here too, but and cheap instant noodles, like dried instant noodles. And if you just, you know, make a piece, like a crack and put it in your mouth, it's like a cracker. And my mm-hmm. mom always scolded me, like, don't do that. It's going to be sick, but I couldn't oh. stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> people in the book, like sick kid. He has like a, uh, a burger, a ramen burger with like, and there's people that have like ramen. Um, Cause a lot of in America in the prison industrial complex, ramen is like money in jail, you know? And we even interviewed this guy, the goose Alvarez. He has a book called prison ramen. And mm. yeah. So like in jail, they'll make like these spreads. They'll make like ramen burritos and like all kinds of things. Right. Wow. Very versatile ramen is. <laughs> yeah, it's just extreme, right? Um, okay, so what have you learned from the process of writing the book? <laughs> yeah, a lot. Like I, I was telling the artists, like when I like I first sent out the first twenty five emails, I'm like, hey, you guys, this book will be done in three months, and it really took three years, so. I would just say, you know, it you have to it taught me to finish what I start, you know, and it taught me don't give up on your ideas, perseverance. You just you don't always want to look at the end of the tunnel. You want to look at your next step, you know, cuz it's it's hard to see the finish line if you're not looking right in front of you, you know? Mm, right. That is so true about everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I was like, even with the publishers, we are like the, the the company Artron who printed the book. We went in there and we're like, all right, we'll have the book done. <laughs> we'll have all the files to you next week. And like, you just you you keep thinking that you're you're done, and then you're not done. You know, <laughs> right? So I'm not sure how you feel about looking at your book in your hand. Like, really, is this really done? 
I know. I mean, I love the book, but I, I, I know where all the errors are and like, <laughs> but oh, that's really? it. Cause it's not perfect, you know? And it's, it's not what is ever really done anyways, you know, it's just not worked on anymore. So right. well, I think you can talk about that with any book. Yeah. 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 Um, I would say that ramen to me is kind of like a, a martial art or something because a lot of like capoeira or jujitsu, they come, they're coming from Brazil, but they come to America to teach you like the traditional way, you know, like the way it's, or that's why I couldn't do this book without going to Japan because that would be like disrespectful, you know? Hmm. Well, that's a very respectful attitude, by the way, right? Because it's a, there's a tradition, but it always believed that, well, somebody's attracted to a certain tradition, there's a reason, right? Because there's essence, that's, that person really valued something in the tradition. And that mm-hmm. moment, there's already, always, uh, already a respect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So do you think... Um, you learn more about ramen itself, you are more into it, or you had enough of it? <laughs> uh, you know what? I still love ramen. <laughs> I'm I'm still into it. I still want to try more ramen, but for me, it's, it's just real beautiful to, like, complete something and to be able to, like, yeah, it's just a lot of learning experience and it was fun to get behind, get into the kitchens and really like interview people. And like these, these people like give their whole life, you know, so you can enjoy your meal. So, right. yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's really true that they themselves represent that kind of uh, in pursuit of perfection, which is never possible. <laughs> it's not the unreach- unreachable goals, but they right. always try their own goals. So, yeah, and uh, so the what is the common thread between arts and ramen for you? The common thread, I would I would say it's it's all about ingenuity. It's about creativity. Uh, when talking to Chris Ying, he was t- he was just explaining about like some chefs will have a real story behind a bowl, you know. And that and that is like how it's presented and it's the presentation, it's the ingredients. And so like a good ingredient in ramen is like golden paint for an artist, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's very connected. Everything's connected. I think the biggest number is one, you know, because it's the most complete, you know. Did that answer your question? (laughs) Yeah, but you asked the same question to Chris Yang, right? You just mentioned. So so for you, it sounds like uh, ramen is art rather than just Yeah, I, I think it's art. You know, it's it's like it's the ingredients. If you're not making your own noodles, which a lot of ramen shops don't do, then it's not going to be as as complete as the ramen shop that sources their own ingredients, makes their own noodles in-house, like, that's like really from scratch, you know, you want the most like authentic, like from, from nothing to bowl and created by the, the chef, you know, cause it's like, mm. it tells more of a full story. It's, it's, you know, even the broth takes days to make, you know? So it's, it's like, 
a whole week may go into that bowl that you just had. And it's really affordable, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah, well, isn't it the tricky though? So that's the kind of like, you know, the ramen is popular because it's、uh, reasonably priced, but the efforts just put behind it, it's just so much, so much that it's,、uh, it's hard to start with making noodles. And I think there's another part of Japanese culture that chefs rely on、um, kind of. Delegation, right? We just divide the specialized area. So, you know, for example, if you want to make the perfect Japanese knife, the knife art, I do. So, next door, who's been、uh, like fourth generation, fifth generation of doing the same thing, you know, the handle part, I'll let him do it. And then、mm-hmm. when he's done, I will put them on my knife. So, that kind of a good, you know, delegation mindset. Or、mm-hmm. with kind of trust relationship.、Mm-hmm. So that's、uh, another part of Japanese culture. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, because it's like now you've made your own bowl, you've made your own noodles. What about, what about the bowl itself? Did you make the bowl in house? Like, you know, <laughs> and then、right. the, the aesthetic of your restaurant, it's, it's so much goes into it. You know what I mean?、It's, right. And, and the more. Somebody puts into something, that's what I think makes it the greatest, you know?、Mm, right. So, for that bowl, I don't mind paying for extra because it's, it's the next level. That's, that's an art. So, it's the next level. But in Japan, though, like you're not usually going to spend $100 on a ramen dinner. But in the States, you can easily go out with your friend and end up spending $100, you know? Right. Yeah, well, that's another part of、uh, that's an interesting point because if you go to Japan and people from Japan pay for ramen here, like, what? Why is it so expensive? And in Japan, ramen is more casual. It's like an espresso bar in Italy, like, go sit down, eat, and go. But I think the American、uh, ramen culture made it more kind of occasion, which is celebration for. I think ramen culture for the future because you can add value that can、mm-hmm. go back to the pocket of ramen producers and chefs and that can be reinvested into the better ramen. So, you know, like lo- really low price,、uh, repetitive structure could be、uh, the ruin, ruining the future of ramen, but I think American style is kind of jolting energy for the future of Japanese traditional ramen. Yeah, like、uh, in the book, we interviewed Ramen Hero, and he, he has like world class frozen ramens that they'll mail to you overnight. And he'll have like chocolate ramen and like, like peanut butter ramen and like all <laughs> kinds of crazy ramens. And then it really just makes you think, like, what is ramen? <laughs> you know? Like,、hey. is, ramen is like everything. Like, it, <laughs> so it's like, yeah. It's kind of trippy.、Mm, yeah, I'm not totally against it actually. Like, you know, matcha for Japanese people, traditionally, matcha has never been used into, you know, all those like a latte or matcha latte, Starbucks, that kind of thing. But who knows? That could be interesting. And、uh, like, like、um, American creative、uh, sushi bowls, that's the entrance. And you can eventually go back to the most traditional form of matcha or ramen. So we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, I kind of think, like, I think that the future of ramen is happening right now. You know, you, you have some chains, but you also have a lot of, like, like individual shops and in Japan. It's kind of like that, too. You have some chains, and then you have a lot of individual shops. But I know that a lot of the chefs I've interviewed, they, they want to have more shops, you know, and become more chain-like. So I think there will start to be some more, like, American chains that get really big. You know. Mm, right. Yeah. yeah, that's that'll be interesting, right? Because now supermarkets or delis you can find sushi, um, you know, package the sushi. So ramen could be around the corner, like you know, the fried chicken or burger shops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think and it still hasn't got to like middle America really. I feel like the best ramen is like the Bay Area, New York, LA, you know, and I know Texas is starting to open some. I haven't seen any in New Mexico yet, you know, so like Mm. somebody comes there and they start messing with the green chilies, there'll be like a new ramen shop out there, you know, so it's like there's still a lot of room for ramen to grow in America, you know. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So maybe you can initiate (laughs) some movement Come on, Akiko, let's go on the business. (laughs) Yeah, all right. We'll discuss (laughs) after the show. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, the, by the way, uh, where, well, let me ask you this question first. So so what are your plans? Are you going to publish more books about something interesting like ramen or Mm -hmm. what are your plans? About anything, music, paintings. About anything. Well, the ramen ramen book is doing really well. It's in a lot of shops. There's like, I only have maybe like a few hundred books left. So my next, next kind of, I would be down to do like a reprint that's a little bit more affordable for people because it is a $75 book, you know, but aside of like book stuff, we have a bunch of art shows at Swim Gallery we're working on. We're working on a, an art deck. Uh, I have a show in June at Chandron Gallery, June 26th um, in San Francisco. Um, yeah, working on a luggage store gallery book. Um, working on getting to know myself better. <laughs> like a lot of, you can, as my friend said, you can never be unemployed when you're working on yourself, you know. Right, that yeah. is true, right? True. Yeah, people. and then, yeah, and then if you don't stop, you never fail. That's what somebody said to me too. <laughs> so, oh yeah, that's the thing. Like in the in the art world, you see, the the art world is like a, a machine, and they want artists to kind of be like robots. So artists have to be very careful to to uh, manage their manage their uh, efforts so they don't burn out because the one who keeps going the longest usually are the successful ones, you know? Mm, right. Well, that's deep. I have to remember that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, so where can we buy your book, Ramen Forever? Uh, well, you can buy it at ramenforever.com. You can go to Kitchen Art and Letters in New York, or you can go to... Uh, now serving in LA or Park Life in San Francisco. Um, 
yeah so yeah a few a few shops have picked it up i'm still working on getting in more stores but you can google it and it's not on amazon <laughs> mm. not doing the amazon thing right it's a upbook in my yeah. opinion yeah, <laughs> right yeah. So, it's so listeners, it's an art book that that made its way into the cookbook section. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and also I I think every page, you know, the whole illustrations, that's mm-hmm. really cultural and artistic at the same time. So, listeners, mm-hmm. so the title of the book is Ramen Forever: An Artist's Guide to Ramen. I highly recommend that you get a copy. Um, okay, so where can we find your updates online and social media? Uh, you can reach me on Instagram at Yaro Slaps or Ramen Forever Official on Instagram or YaroSlapsArt.com. Um, I would say Instagram kind of, I have the most updates though. Cool. And, yeah. uh, but by the way, I, I heard that Yaro is a cool name. That's uh, the name of uh, an herb plant. Oh, yep, yep. And it's, I was named that because <laughs> my folks were like, we want you to stop the bleeding all around the world. And yarrow is traditionally used to stop the bleeding and it grows all around the world. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that your parents' intentions working. <laughs> yeah. We, we let's stop the bleeding. More love. Right. More love. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much for joining us today, Arrow. And uh, please keep me posted and uh, maybe we can just, you know, talk about something more fun. And um, Kiko, it's a it's an honor to be on your show and talk to you. I I even saw you on Netflix one time, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> so <laughs> keep doing all the great work and and spreading the love of Japan eats because there's so much to eat in Japan. Right. Well, yeah. thank you so much. That means so much to me. So thank you, Yaro. Yeah. So, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikotema.com. Japanese is a weekly program and always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Aman Wang, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Japanese is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.